Hello and welcome to Genetically Speaking. In our first season, we delved into the careers of our members within the American Society of Human Genetics. We had great conversations with genetic counselors, researchers, educators, clinicians, and more. We were able to explore their unique journeys and the impact they've made in the world of human genetics and genomics. If this is the first time you're tuning in, welcome and we're glad to have you here. For our repeat listeners, welcome back. I hope you hear something new that stays with you. Thanks for joining us in revisiting Season 1 of Genetically Speaking. Welcome, I'm your host, Dr. Chris Gunter, and today we're joined by Dr. Tiffany Oliver. Can you tell us a little bit about your position and what you're spending your time on? Yeah, so I'm currently vice chair of the Department of Biology at Spelman College, which is an historically black college in Atlanta. It's also a women's college. Um, I am a geneticist, of course, which brings me here with you at the American Society of Human Genetics. And my research actually looks at pathways that near infrared light uses to promote Pingo. And I know we already bonded about both having our PhDs from Emory, yes, great place in Atlanta. So tell me a little bit more about, you talked about your research, but tell me, how, I know you're really passionate, passionate about education as well. So how did you get into spending a lot of time doing that? So I actually, uh, as you said, I was actually in graduate school in their Stephanie Sherman's lab. And after I passed my qualifying exam, I asked her if I could teach once a week at a local high school in Atlanta. Cool. And she said, sure. You know, as long as you get your work there, she is always really encouraging to me as it pertains to, as it pertains to what I want to do with my life. Yes. Um, and so I did that. And I actually taught at a, um alternative school in Atlanta called CRIM. Um, I'm also from a family of educators. My dad's a chemist, but he was a chemist, went to Vietnam, extracted, and then he became a high school teacher and taught chemistry and uh, physics, but organic chemistry and physics. And so that together, plus loving science is kind of what pushed me towards a career in education and then getting experiences teaching high school helped me to kind of see how... Um, I could make a difference as it pertains to science education and for people of color. That's great. So it sounds like in your case, just both genetics and environment that led to this yeah. trait being expressed. Is what I don't know if I would say it like that, but you're right. Exactly. Yeah. It's plenty. Yeah, that's great. You've done a lot of work, which is, I think that's amazing. So um, it, it, I think it's really hard when uh, you're in academia, you have so many demands on your time. Um, would you like to spend more time teaching? Would you like to spend more time on your research? I'm sure the answer is probably both, but where are you finding yourself? I definitely, teaching is important because you need the foundation, but um I like doing research because it's so much more connected to mentorship for me, which is what's going to be important as it pertains to increasing the presence of minorities and underrepresented individuals in STEM, which is central to my purpose as a scientist and as a Black. And I saw in a video about you where you were saying that it was interesting how many of your um, students and your mentees, their personal experiences have led them to choose careers in STEM. Can you talk a little about that? And how? Yeah, how that so a lot of students that I'm meeting are saying things like, oh, well, um, I want to be a doctor because my grandmother, she had Alzheimer's or um, my mom has this uh, spinal disease or just different things that inform their decisions to be in medicine, but I'm also seeing more of them um, 
being impacted personally by societal issues and choosing to go into like public health um, as people that have biology degrees in order to make a difference in that way. Yeah. And that's big in Atlanta, obviously. The, the yeah, like the CDC is exactly. And Henry. And Henry. We got to get the plugs in. So one of the things that the ASHC staff was curious about are, are there anything that as you went into science, you didn't really think it would be so much of a challenge or into your faculty position? And now you're like, oh, wow, I wish I had known that this was going to be such an issue. Yeah. Yeah. Well, going into graduate school, um, I thought that the coursework was going to be challenging, right? But I found that the coursework wasn't the thing that I had to navigate, right? Because I could read. I went to my teachers when I had questions yep. um, and I had support in that way. Um, what was difficult for me was navigating the, the social aspects of um, a graduate program. And as if that were not hard enough, being a Black woman, right? Navigating that space from, um, I also came from an HBCU. Yeah, um, which definitely does not put me at a disadvantage as it pertains to going to a PWI. But um, I had to learn how I how to communicate in that space, and it was very different than than how I communicated um, where I was before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was used to calling a spade a spade, and I had to learn or what I was what experience taught me was that that you can't do that. And it's unfortunate, but just learning coping mechanisms so that you can survive, you know, even when you can meet the demands right on paper of the curriculum, you have to survive socially. And for me, that was the challenge. That is so hard. But that's my postdoc mentor used to tell me that science is all about relationships. Yeah. And at the time I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But now I absolutely, that's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And that is really important too. I'm sure any career has an aspect yeah. of that, but that is really important. So can you define, you use a couple terms that I want to make sure people understand, HBCU and PWI. Oh, HBCU is a historically black college or university. And a PWI means a primor- primarily white Institution, great. Yeah, I want to make sure people heard that. So, so then you talked about that. So, what coping mechanisms worked for you? What would you recommend? Even the literature shows that mentorship yeah. is important. Um, and so, um, we often think of mentors. They can be your advisor. They don't have to be. My advisor was actually she listened to me. She let me, um, you know, air my issues and concerns. But also peer mentors are very important, especially, you know, studies show like in the literature that as it pertains to the retention of um, women in academia, right? Um, In tenure track positions, black women are 1.13% of tenure track individuals that have a PhD in STEM, right? Mentorship is important. Mentors help you navigate social um, environments. They also advocate for you and they provide a a sense of protection and belonging. And so um, that was a, a very important thing for me. And I, and rebuilding community. Yeah. Right. So that, and it's a dying mix. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, absolutely. And there, I think there's a lot of talk in the, um, out there in the world now about the difference between mentorship and sponsorship. And it sounds like that's also what you're talking about too. Mm-hmm. Dr. Sherman helps sponsor you and put you up for things. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, definitely. I mean, you know, yeah. of course, Yara and, yeah, hey, she challenged me. You know, I remember I went to her and I was like, Dr. Jeremy, I want to have to 
she looked at me. She's like, you need a grant. <laughs> and she was crazy. You know, that's how she gets the thing she needs. And, you know, but she didn't just throw me out there. She worked with me on my, um, uh, the NIH predoctoral fellowship, you know, and I got it. Yeah. You know, so it wasn't like she was like, that's your problem. Figure it out. You know, of course. Yeah. You know, we went back and forth and, you know, in that process, I learned how to write scientifically. She was very raw with me, like Tiffany, um, you know, the structure of this, but I learned so much, you know, and so if you're going to be critical, you have to be constructive and helpful. And as a good mentor, that's something that she did that I pass along. I think to myself. Such a good lesson. Yeah, absolutely. So I know um, in terms of being faculty, it's. It, I think it's um, changing all the time. Um, when I was faculty more recently, there weren't as many resources, but now there's Slack, right? And there's um, specifically groups like the new PI Slack, the mid-career PI Slack, which have exactly what you're talking about, peer mentors who can talk to each other and ask each other questions. I'm dealing with this problem, et cetera. Are there any others that we should mention that specifically for faculty members or graduate students that you think, yeah, this is really great? Um, the National, I think it's Faculty Development Center. Oh, yeah. Um, I may not have the right, the moniker correct, but um, very helpful. Just they have a lot of resources yeah. for faculty and um, minorities that are um, in STEM and kind of other disciplines as it pertains to uh, promotion and tenure. That's great. I I think there's there's the ones that send out the Monday motivator, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I get that all the time. It feeds into the academic guilt of you should be writing, right? It does. It's it does bad mantra, but it's accountability. Exactly. And talking about forming groups together, and that's important too. I've seen people form um, accountability groups exactly like you're talking. Um, Truly helpful. And again, that brings you back to this concept of building community. Yeah, which is so important, or has been important for me personally as it pertains to my survival. Yeah, um, I think in this discipline, it's not easy because if all I had to be was a scientist and do research and teach like those things explicitly, fun. Yeah, but that's not it. No, you know, and your ability to navigate the rest of that space strongly predicts the quality of your experience as an individual. Yeah. Yeah, and that's uh, I agree with you. That's something that you think oh, I'll just be judged on my work, and it's that's not the way it is. It's all shades of gray. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where do you see genetics going? You said you're a geneticist, so where where do you see that going? Where do you think we need to go as well? Um, where do I see it? Do you mean like a specific area of research? Anything? My personal investment? Yeah, anything. I that's done again. You know, again. Um, diversity within uh, genetics and us getting more diverse populations participating as well as benefiting from the science of genetics. Um, And there's a lot that has to be undone, right? There are a variety of reasons why people of various, uh, from various groups that are underrepresented do not participate. Mm -hmm. And um, we have to take the time. Those are going to be hard conversations. They're going to be uh, difficult, but we need everybody, everybody, me, you, everybody. We have to be humble and we have to be persistent in our um, process of not just access, but inclusion. You know, in order to include some groups, we're going to have to be more intentional. It's not just advertising it. Everybody could apply. Everybody could have 
contributed or participated in the clinical study. It's identifying individuals and inviting them personally, right? Just feel, because people don't hear about it. If you don't hear about it, then how, how are you going to be part of it? Absolutely. But it also builds an element of trust that it, when you establish that relationship, it kind of does a little bit of the, the, the negative and kind of gets rid of this st- stigma. Not completely, but a little. But there's definitely a history that needs to be acknowledged exactly as you're saying. Yeah. I think also not treating people just as research subjects. Right. Hopefully that's going out as well. Sure. The last two or whatever. I just, I, 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 you know, everybody who we want to benefit from genetic discovery. Yeah, absolutely. Pharmacogenomics, et cetera. Yeah. So uh, the staff would also like to know, what do you do when you're not in the lab? Which I'm sure is almost never, but. I actually, um, I do Chicago stepping. Oh my God, it was. It's a two-person dance. It looks like a salsa. No kidding. Yeah, every Thursday. Wow, that sounds amazing. Yeah, I used to roller skate on Wednesdays, but then I just stopped skating and I didn't watch Chicago Step. Wow. I like it, but the dance has its own um, kind of music because you do it to a certain beat and the music is nostalgic for me. It leads me back to being a little girl growing up in Detroit. Of course. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And if people want to learn more about Chicago Stepping, where should they look? It's on the internet. They have I Love Stepping. There are a bunch of... um, of groups. Um, my uh, dance teachers are hosting the Heritage Ball in February, which is this mm. huge event where um, people from all over the U.S. come and do Chicago Stepics. But um, there are a bunch of groups. So that's you, can, you can Google it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Now uh, we could do a whole podcast on that. <laughs> yeah. 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 We'll create a whole video. So um, do, I know we talked about some uh, advice for people. So do you have any other advice, particularly for those who are just starting out and thinking about going to graduate school in genetics? You know, how did you decide to become a geneticist? Like, how did you? Yeah. So um, when I started undergrad, I wanted to be an obstetrician. And my school had a, a program where at the end of 10, at the, at the end of two years, you could um, kind of get your degree and go to medical school if you got accepted. You know, you'd already taken your four courses. If you got to medical school, you could go. Um, but that was the year, my second year, I took genetics. And I was like, wow, this is math and biology together. And at that point, I, I saw medicine as this career where I had to memorize a lot of stuff. And I saw genetics as something that um, had prescribed ways of answering a question. And I like that. Yeah. And so um, just my love for biology and man together led me to a career of genetics. And I met great nipsaurs. When I was in school and I did genetics research, um, uh, Lewis Miles was my genetics teacher. And um, John Robinson at Tennessee State, I went to, I also am a graduate of the HBCU, Tennessee State University. Oh, yep. Um, they showed me who I was before I could see me. Wow. And I liked that person. And that's another thing that mentors do. They show you your strengths and weaknesses. And um, that was very important for me having the courage or the wherewithal to say, I can go get a PhD in genetics. Let's do that, you know? And, you know, I thought nothing nothing of it because of what they, in addition to my parents, in addition to my father, right, um, put in me. That's so important. Like, you know, people showing you what you can do. That's amazing. Yeah. And now you're doing that for other people, which is... I sure hope so. Every day I wake up, that's what it is. That's what I try to do. Yeah. So cool. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Tiffany Oliver. Thank you for being part of the podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Genetically Speaking. 
Join us again next week for another episode. <laughs>